good morning, family. My name is Vinny. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. Today, celebrating victory over alcohol, nicotine, sexual addiction, fear of abandonment and rejection, and I continue to struggle with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, and pride. It's great to be here. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Y'all are too quiet. We're going to try that again. Good morning, family. What a great place to be. So finishing the series, Mind Hack, change your thinking, change your life. How many of you during the last five weeks have had your life changed? Something has gone on that has got you either thinking differently, acting differently, responding differently? Yeah, praise God. There's a lot of us here that need our lives to change. How many of you would be honest enough to say there's something that I already know in my mind needs to change about me or about how I'm behaving or about what I'm doing? Welcome home. Welcome to the best place to be on a Sunday morning. For those of you who don't know why we're yelling, I get to serve as the pastor of our Celebrate Recovery Ministry that meets here from uh, 7 to 9 on Tuesday nights. And I want to share with you one of the best and my favorite part of the whole night as we gather together. Before we do introductions or anything like that, right after our worship time, here's what we say. Welcome to Celebrate Recovery, the best place to be on a Tuesday night! And see, that's, that's kind of how it begins, right? A little bit of excitement, just a little bit of fire. For those of you who have never participated in a Celebrate Recovery, it is not about being defined by the struggle or the, the stuff that's going on in here or about the things that have been done to us or about the effects of what we've done to others. It's about finding hope and freedom in Jesus Christ. They were not just set free from addictions, but also the compulsive behaviors that develop out of fear, anxiety, gambling, overeating, overspending, a whole lot of other things. Right? Celebrate Recovery is about finding hope in that one name alone, Jesus Christ. Right? And so, we don't just say welcome one time, we do it again. For those who have never participated in a Celebrate Recovery before, we invite you to participate with us in what God is doing in our lives today. So here we go. Welcome to Celebrate Recovery, the best place to be on a Tuesday night! <laughs> Sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's intended to be. Because we lose part of what we're celebrating when we focus on just the issue. How many of you have ever believed that you were defined by the struggle that you have in your life? Right? It doesn't have to be, hey, I'm Vinny and I'm alcoholic. It could be, you are so and so and you struggle with lack of faith. Lack of hope. Right? How many of us have ever doubted God? For those of you who didn't raise your hands, you should have. Right? We have all been born into sin. We've been looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2, which verse 1 starts with offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Man, that's hard enough, right? To give up everything that we think we are to genuinely follow this Jesus Christ. To follow a God, have you ever seen God? No, you did not. You've seen the effects of God. You may have heard God's voice. You've read stories about him. But to actually see God, right? It's, it's almost like seeing the wind. You don't see the wind, but you feel the effects of it. You can see the effect it has on other things like trees blowing, right? But to see it in here. And that Romans 12, 2, starting out with, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And it's not just so that you could be a good person. It's not just so you could stop drinking or doing drugs or gambling, or overeating, or sexual addiction. But it goes on to say that you would know the will of God and approve of it. 
His good, perfect, and pleasing will. So it started out by admitting we have a need for something more than just us. I got to tell you, sobriety isn't the answer. Sobriety is a step along the process of what's called sanctification, learning to be more like Christ. And so many people get stuck and caught up in, if I just stopped this, I would be a better person. I would be worth God's attention, his time, his energy, his emotion. And because of that, I would have people's attention. I would have people's love and affection and emotion. But what do we really desire? We all have a desire to be more like Christ. Right? I don't know about you. I, I know that I'm not going to be perfect here. Right? I'm sorry if I let anybody down with that. But I know already that I'm not intended to be perfect here. I'm simply intended to be honest. And that's the hardest part about what we have to do. And so today, I don't want to tell you what to do. But what I do want to do is share with you what has worked in my life in, in bringing me to a place where I felt safe to be honest. Right? Have you ever been honest and it's been used against you? Have you ever been honest and somebody threw it up in your face? And you're like, well, that didn't work. I don't think I'll do that again. Right? We all have. It's part of humanity. But where do we really find safety to be honest about the struggles that are going on? Right? So for the married couples, right, I don't like when people say that their spouse completes them. Right? It's great for movies, but it's not true at all. There's nothing about Scripture that's teaching that that person completes me. They complement me. As a spouse, that person is to pick up the slack where you lack. Right? And I say that because my wife does a lot of what I don't do. Right? I have zero gift of administration. For those of you who don't know what that means, I don't either. I just know I don't do it. <laughs> but I have a bride who compliments me and who fills that void in my life to have given us a ministry together where we can serve together to give back what has been so freely given to you and to me, the very breath that we breathe. So I've had this weird thought uh, ever since we met as uh, the pastors or the staff, and I was given this topic of winning over temptation. And the thought was, what if this is my last sermon? And I don't mean just like the last opportunity to be on stage and to share with you, but what if this really is the last day that I have on earth? Would I want to teach you something or tell you something that you can choose to walk out of here and pretend like I came to church and checked the box? Or would I really want to give of myself and be honest with you about the true nature of, of who I have been and where I have been and what I have learned? Today, I don't want to share with you just some philosophical answers or even just biblical answers, but to have shared with you an experience of God's presence in my life by applying what Scripture says, right? And, and I want to be honest, 100%, the, the, the caveat is you have to believe this part about me. You might not even know me, but believe this about me. I have twisted Scripture to try and conform it to my life, to pull a verse out of context and to say, this is what it says, this is what I'm going to do, not paying any attention to what the context was. And when I do that, I'm a horrible example of what the gospel says. But when we look at the whole message of the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God providing for us a heavenly father and then to send his only son to die so that I could spend eternity with him and then to have an opportunity to share with you that you matter to God. 
It's not just about winning over temptation. It's about placing our identity in who Christ says we are. And that's where we find the real victory. So again, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to share with you a bit of my experience with it so that hopefully you will see the presence of God. And this is the hardest part about about having a title of pastor or any type of a speaker is if you only share knowledge but no wisdom or experience or application of it, I've only made you smarter without actually having it been applicable. And so I don't want to just puff up who you are. I'm going to leave here today and I'm going to be a better person. I hope that the Spirit comes and convicts each and every one of us that there's more that God has for us. It's not possessions. It's not positions. It's not titles. It's not salary. It's identity. That we would be becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for each of us who got up this morning. For those on a holiday weekend and for those uh, still at home, Lord, we pray that you would use this message, not as my words, but as your words spoken through me. Father, I got up early this morning and I, I began with prayer. I brushed my teeth. I got in the shower. I combed my hair. And I came to church. Father, I, I've spent hours studying and going over your word and, and praying and thinking and changing up what you placed on my heart to share. And Father, all of that is absolutely worthless if we don't have hearts that are open to receive what you want to share. So Father, I submit myself to your word and I ask in Jesus' name that each one of us would have eyes that are open to see, ears that are open to hear, and a heart that is open to receive what you would show us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So victory over temptation really is possible. What does that look like? What does that really even mean? Right, Romans 12, 2, again, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the real question then becomes, what are the patterns of the world? What do you do in response to the situations that you find yourself in? How do you handle anger? Right? I'm out. My little girl turned 16 three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I hope that applause is for me. Right? So we've started driving. And I got to tell you, I have much more patience now than I have ever had in my life, I think. Right? We're driving around, and, and my daughter Vanessa is doing an amazing job driving. We've been safe. We've had people cut us off. We've had people literally stand outside in, in our lane, standing there. And as we drive by, I say, oh, I thought they were going to let us go by. We were in a moving car. You're in the middle of the road. One of us is wrong. And rather than get upset or like reach over and grab the wheel or simply remain calm. And she's getting better at driving because of it. And I think how many times have I expected God to grab the wheel of my life and to yank it from me and yet instead he, he is the one driving. Right? And I look at bad situations and I think this is crazy. Why am I in this situation all over again? How can this even work out for my good? Is scripture real? Does it even matter? Am I the one just coming to church on a Sunday morning and checking the box and going home? And my life does look different out there. 
Because in here, I walked in the door and I put on a good face and smiled. Inside, I'm broken and I'm hurt. I feel alone. And I'm choosing to act out and respond to things in unhealthy ways. Some of the world's patterns of dealing with things. When you're fearful of others, right? Have you ever been uh, afraid of being caught? I have. Right? And so I start to isolate, lock myself in a room. Sometimes I just don't pick up the phone. I don't call anybody. I used to not show up for work. Uh, when I felt like I have low self-esteem or, or low worth or my identity is in things other than Christ and we start to do things inappropriately or dress inappropriately, trying to attack, attract somebody's sexuality versus their personality, right? where, where we believe that our identity is in what we wear or how many other people we can get to like us, right? Think of your Facebook account. How many of you would love Facebook if you only had one friend? Right? Most of us would be like, this is horrible. I have no friends. But what if that one friend was Jesus? Would your life look different? Would your account be posting the things that you're posting? My guess is for some of us, the answer is no. My hope, though, is that for all of us, it would be yes. What about when you're hurried and stressed and, and things just are getting frustrating and frantic? Do you start losing your cool? Do you run out of patience and grace for other people? Do you start looking at yourself and judging yourself? Looking at others and judging them? Does profanity start to come out of your mouth? Right? Does the intention of your heart change to malice? To intentionally hurt other people? What about when you're alone? Right? I've heard it said that, that the character of a person is not defined when they're around a crowd of people. The character is defined by who they are when no one is around. For those of you who don't know what that is hinting at, it's, it comes out of a training specifically on pornography, talking about the character of a person being defined when there's no one around to catch you, right? Isn't that what we all believe? Except God is there, right? We don't, we don't pray and usher God's spirit in. He's already here. God is already in your home. He's already in your closets. He's already in your basements, but do we recognize it? Do we allow the Spirit and invite and, and ask the Spirit to bring us conviction that our lives would be changing to be more like Him? How about when you're feeling rejected and alone? Right, I have made some really poor decisions in my life where in those feelings of having been rejected, uh, I would move people into my house, specifically women, and I got into uh, relationships that were not healthy. And it was because... I had no way of processing through those feelings of being alone. I thought that the answer was somebody else, but what I didn't realize was who that somebody was. And today, it's your choice what you do in those situations. But I don't want to leave you just thinking, man, that's, that's a bad place to be. But to really give you four tools that are going to help you to understand what it is that we do, not just in Celebrate Recovery, but as biblical application of Scripture to our lives. Right? Celebrate Recovery is not just for drug addicts and alcoholics. In fact, nationally, the statistic is one in three people come into a Celebrate Recovery program for drugs or alcohol. Guess what that means? Two-thirds of the people come in for love relationships that are going badly. Anger, rage, malice. Any of those things sound familiar? How about sexual immorality? Sound familiar? Yeah, right? But if those are the patterns of the world, how does our life look any different being the church? 
are we really the body of Christ, the hands and feet? I got to tell you, it's, it's not coincidence or ironic that the last song we sang talks about there's a breakthrough coming. If you want a breakthrough in your life, guess what your part is? To submit yourself to what this word says. There is no other owner's manual or directions for life that's going to lead you to a place of eternal peace. I don't know about you, I get tired of having strife and anxiety. I get tired of having to beat down Satan when the depression comes on, when the fears of temptation and, and am I going to fall this time? Have you ever had something come as a temptation that you thought was a blessing? Right? And here, here's my example for that. I found a wallet at work. Vicky and I were hurting for money, but this wallet had $1,400 in it. I think, thank you, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Some of you know where I'm going with this. That wasn't my money, and that wasn't God's blessing. But the blessing was when I got to be the man of integrity and character who handed back to the rightful owner a wallet, and as he opened it up to say, all of the money is here. Now, for those of you who don't know, I've struggled most of my life with stealing things. In fact, when I started coming to Celebrate Recovery here in 2010, there was a point where the ministry leader confronted me about pens I was taking. Right? So you all look at the pens in front of you and laugh and use them and stuff like that. I had over 200 pens at my house. <laughs> yep. Each and every one of them said Morning Star Fellowship. Yep. Didn't matter what it was. It was trying to meet a need of something else. Now, my mom and, and dad are down here in the front row. They can vouch. There have been lots of other things I've stolen. Lots of other times I've been caught stealing. Up until Christ got a hold of my heart and started to change my identity where it no longer mattered what other people thought or said about me. I'm okay to be poor because in Matthew it talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. But what I can't do is to make up a false humility or to have a false character. My life is the exact same here as it is at work, as it is at home, as it is in Walmart. And that really is what God desires for each of us. And I'm not saying I'm a perfect example. And I'm going to share a little story with you about what happened last week. So, we ended up camping at one of our favorite places. And we go tent camping, right? No RVs, no nothing like that. And in this place, it's secluded. It's quiet. You hear the birds. You see these little chipmunks. It's all like the picturesque camping. We show up on Thursday... And Friday, a youth group from Connecticut shows up with 59 kids and like eight leaders. Yeah, do the math. Guess who's outnumbered, right? And these kids are loud and rambunctious. And they don't even speak English, right? They don't speak Spanish. They, they speak Portuguese. I don't know anything about Portuguese, but all I know is they're loud. This place has a, a lights out, kind of quiet time at 11 p.m., about 12.30, now I've had it. I'm getting upset, and Vicky says, call the, call the manager. So I call the executive director, and I talk with him. He says, I've already been down there like half an hour ago. Are they still doing this? Yeah. About 1.30, it finally like quiets down to like a hive of bees in your ear. Right? They're not that far away. They have this air horn, and they've been blowing it on and off. The next morning, 5.30, they blow this air horn. Burm, burm, burm. Now I'm like wide awake. Sit up and I tell Vicky, where's my Bible? I'm going to the lodge. Come back and she tells me, yeah, they did it again at 6 o'clock. They did it again at 7 o'clock. She had some words for him out the tent window. 
But now we're all sitting around the campfire, and, it, and it's fairly quiet, except for these folks over here that are just loud and obnoxious. And they blare the horn again. Now, I'm going to put the mic down, and I'm going to walk back here, but I want to set for you an example of what I did. And you all might want to raise your hands, just praise Jesus for this. Some of you all might want to look at me and condemn me, right? But I'm going to do it as an example. Follow me. Did everybody catch that? I could do it again. And in fact, when they started pointing at me and speaking in some other language, now I got up out of my seat. And I hollered three more times, stop blaring the air horn. Great story, right? Like, now that's a pastor to follow. Woo! Right? In the midst of the frustration, I felt almost justified. Like, well, they stopped. Right? But right away, this conviction comes over me. Mm. I have some folks in amends. And I start to process through what that looks like. But I had been equipped to do it because of what I learned in Celebrate Recovery and in our church family here. It wasn't a matter of just losing my cool. Right? And I've got to be honest with you. My mom's here. She can vouch. For me, that wasn't even relapse. The old me, people who have been hurt, they've been sleeping in tents with no roofs, right? This was my idea of a calm resolution. Not the greatest example. In the midst of youth group, right, they weren't even like city kids. They were from Danbury, Connecticut, speaking Portuguese, and I'm yelling in English. Understand the mutual frustration, right? I did find out, though, as I yelled, they spoke some English, right? Because they're like, what, what, what is an English word? So I yelled again, right? But knowing that the Spirit is convicting me, it was up to me whether I was going to be honest with myself about what was going on. The first tool is that we got to take the mask off. I have to admit, I'm broken. I'm a sinner, still saved by grace, but in need of constant repentance, in need of not just saying I'm sorry to people, but in genuinely going and asking for forgiveness. And I got to tell you, that's probably the hardest part of anything that you do that puts you under this umbrella of Christianity. But to be genuine, to be honest with yourself and with God and with those that you need to make an amends with. See, I had this great plan. It was going to be this awesome camping trip, rest and relaxation and oh, just... Spending time with our family. They got a pool there. They got basketball. 800 acres of just hiking beautiful mountains with streams and waterfalls. Sounds pretty good, right? But I end up next to them. Can you imagine what they're thinking? We end up next to him. Mike Tyson, the great theologian of the 80s and 90s boxing ring. <clears throat> yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Said this one time. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Think about that. God allowed me to get punched in the mouth. He didn't force me. I made my own decisions, and I owned that. It was sinful in my behavior and in my nature to respond and react the way that I did. But what was I going to do? 
Ephesians 4.25, in the NIV version, says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Again, the reminder, Romans 3.23, we have all fallen short of the glory of God because we have sinned. Right? Sin is what divides us from God. Sin is what divides us from one another. It stops unity from being in the body of Christ. It makes the church ineffective in reaching people for salvation. There are people who will enter eternity into hell because we have been bad examples as the church body. Think about that for a second. The implication is this. If you're not real and genuine about your faith, don't expect anybody else to. Expect that maybe some of us, even in this room, are going to be the ones who are going to hear, get away from me. You are neither hot nor cold, lukewarm, and God will spew us out. His desire is that we're sold out, that we are a living sacrifice. And i got to be honest with you, it's humbling and almost humiliating to share with you how I lashed out at these 60 kids and their leaders. But there's another version of Scripture, excuse me, Ephesians 4.25 out of the New Living Translation that says that same Ephesians 4.25 verse a little differently. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. I've asked this before. How many of us have ever come into church? You get that right foot in the door, and somebody is greeting, says, hey, how you doing? And you great. And inside, you already lied. And we've all done it. Right? How many times have we lied to ourselves, thinking that we're going to believe those lies? That I'm okay, I'm, I'm good, I got this. I can get through it. I'll just persevere and press on and we're called to be on our knees. See, the idea of surrendering to God isn't quite the words that, that he uses. Surrender isn't like God's going to come and overpower you and beat you down until you give up. And you finally say, fine, whatever. His desire is that we choose to submit ourselves to him. To genuinely say, God, I, I can't do this. But I believe you can. And to submit Submit ourselves to his word. James 1, verse 13 through 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I want to take you back to my demonstration, right? that sounds pretty important, right? My demonstration of lashing out in anger. If I would allow that anger to foster and to fester inside of my heart, how does that play out? How does it play out when my accountability partner who's with me goes over and tells me, by the way, he's a pastor and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden that looked even worse, right? It was just one thing when I was just a scrub that's yelling, then when they find out I'm a pastor who's yelling, it's a whole different ballgame. How many people fear the same thing when they find out I'm a Christian? Now it changes the level of expectation. They expect more of us. And I've got to be honest with you, they have the right to. Because God expects more of us. But this whole part, when you're dragged away by your own evil desire. 
I wanted peace. I was enticed by the idea of the scenery and the grand, just sense of being able to take a deep breath, right? To breathe non-polluted air, to see water with little fish in it, to see frogs, to see salamanders, to get away from all the chaos of, of working full-time and pastoring and the ministry and all the other stuff that brings stress, to just get away. And yet I chose to respond out of anger. It wasn't God who tempted me, but it was our God who allowed those things to happen in, in my life, and he's allowed them to happen in yours so that we see a need for him. That there is a constant in each one of us that just as we have sinned, we need the grace of God. We need to be able to say, I can honestly admit what I have done and who I have been because I haven't been stepping into the identity that Christ has for me. Where does that place you today? Is the church experience different than what the world's is? Right? You look at some of the statistics that are put out by these different organizations. The church doesn't look too different from the world. Why? Because if we're not honest with ourselves, you can come to church and you can hide. Right? Let's, let's be honest here. I'll raise my hand. You don't have to raise yours. These seats are very easy to hide behind. The doors are very easy to walk in as long as I don't have to be honest or open about what's going on in my life. As long as nobody knows about the anger that's growing inside of me. As long as nobody knows what my internet browser is going to tell them. As long as nobody sees what my bank account is going to show them I prioritize in my life. I'm okay to come to church. But the second one of those walls comes down, like I'm out of here, forget that. That, that wasn't for me. No, it, it was for you. And it was for me. Because there to be is to be a level of integrity and character that's in each one of us because of Christ being in us that's not in the world. So that first one, the first tool, was to take off the mask. I got to tell you, it's scary, it's hard, it's overwhelming, it's fearful. I know, I've been there. And not only have I uh, been there, right? it's like the old hair club for men. I'm not only a customer, I'm the president. I get to be the face that says, yeah, I will go first. I will be honest with you so that hopefully you will go home and connect into some connect groups or get with somebody that you trust and develop what's called an accountability partner. For us in Celebrate Recovery, we unapologetically say that is a same-sex meeting. Meaning that if you're a man, you have another man that you learn to trust and to, to uh, be honest with. And for you ladies, you have a lady that you talk to. Right? And we apply this personally in my family, even to our marriage. There are things I don't understand about my wife and her thinking. And I don't mean that to sound bad. I just don't understand. And so she has a woman and some other women that she goes to and talks to. And some of those stresses are about me. Right? So let's just be honest. Some of those are simply about I don't understand my husband. But they can at least relate to one another and build a relationship that's healthy. One that has vulnerability. One that has a level of security and knowing that you're not going to throw this up in my face. You're not going to use this against me later. You're not going to tell other people what I've shared with you. But that you would genuinely be a safe place for me to be honest, finally, about the real struggles of my life. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. We've, we've read this verse many times together as a church family. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down... One can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, 
I love this, right? The author of Ecclesiastes just kind of slipped this in. Also, <clears throat> good one here. <sighs> I don't even like saying this one out loud. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Right? And right away, I go to my accountability partners, and I picture some of the guys that I'm in ministry with that I genuinely count on, and that I'm genuinely honest with, and I picture, like, we're laying down to keep warm. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I love you and all, but we're going to be cold, but we'll be together. <laughs> I'm not that far along in my recovery process. Right? There's other things in Scripture that I'm just not there yet. Right? Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Fellas, I'm not there yet either. And if you are, praise God, I'm probably not on your accountability team. But we see these things in Scripture, and do we live them out? Right? Because these are the things that the world says. What if people in your workplace got the idea of, hey, shouldn't your life look like this? How many of us would be like, oh, crap. You have a better understanding of the Bible than I do and what those verses mean in laying down my life to walk through life with others. The challenge of being vulnerable, being available, being honest. The third tool that I've learned that works in my recovery have been going to weekly meetings, programs, healthy relationships, seeking wise counsel, phone calls, texting, emails, and coffee. Right? I know for some of you, you're like, ah, nah, 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 coffee, yeah, okay. Right, that's all right. We're all Christians, we're allowed. But to genuinely make a priority of continually walking towards what healing looks like. Right, the weekly meetings. In, in this church family, we have Celebrate Recovery, we have the Connect Group starting up soon, we have women's ministry, there's men's ministry on Saturday mornings. There are a lot of opportunities for us to get involved in genuinely building relationships where we learn to trust one another because we see each other outside of just a Sunday morning. I heard a great sermon a couple weeks ago and it talked about, uh, it was called Rows and Circles. And it talked about we, we learn in rows, right? Meaning we come Sunday morning, you're all sitting in rows, but we grow in circles where we have the opportunity to discuss with one another, what does that look like? What does that mean? How can I apply that in my life? I've done that and I've failed, now what? I've done that and it, it worked. How can I encourage somebody else? That's what the connect groups are about. In Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday night, the second half of our meeting, we get into circles. We have what's called open share groups. And in those groups, you have three to five minutes to share whatever God places on your heart without worrying about people trying to answer you, trying to fix you, trying to tell you what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. But simply this time that's allotted and, and made special for you to be honest about what's going on in your life. All right, so one of these times, I've said in sermons that you don't go to Walmart and, and tell the cashier what's going on in your life. So I thought, why not? I'll go give it a shot. Let's see what happens. I'll be the example. So I was smart. I went to a self-checkout. <laughs> right? We kind of do that in life. I don't want to go talk to them about this particular issue going on. I'll just do a self-checkout. And we miss the whole point and power of what God is doing in our lives. You see, we have this God who raised his son from death to life. Does your life look like that? Does my life look like that? Like, I believe that. 
Does it have power? Does it have authority? My mom is here. She literally gave birth to me. Yeah, that, that's, that's worth an applause in and of itself. <laughs> but she didn't give me any authority. Right? The last name I got is just a last name. And it's a long one. It took me like 10 years to learn to spell it. Right? So to be given one thing doesn't mean that we have the authority to do it. But Christ has given us the authority to find hope and healing and to be a part of that healing process for others along the way. So these meetings, listen to this, in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider how we may spur on one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This idea that some are letting go some won't ever come into a meeting because they believe that there's going to just be people there who are going to look at them and discuss them. Look at this. How many of you, if you were to share honestly about what you did this week as sin, would be like, mm, mm. right? The ugly face. Yeah, I'll make it. You don't have to. Some of you make it back at me anyhow. But we know that there are things in our lives that we're hiding. And the funny part is we're not actually hiding it. We're lying to ourselves. God already knows. And we react out of those hurts and out of those habits and out of the hang-ups that get us caught up in life. We no longer are able to think through clearly. There's no more processing through situations that happen. They're simply reacting, reacting, reacting. Just as I did on our camping trip. To my accountability with the, the man of the family who was with us uh, reminded me ever so gently that I had said I know I need to go and make amends with these folks. And he was willing to go with me if I needed it, which was a big part of the encouragement that I needed to hear. So the next morning, right, I let it, I let it fester overnight. Yeah, yeah, that was a real smart move, right? But on the bright side, they weren't anywhere around, so I justified it. I would have had to go out of my way to actually make an amends. Yeah, some of you are laughing because you know exactly what that means. I didn't go out of my way. I waited until they were back the next morning, and that spirit's conviction was heavy on my heart. God, I'm either going to do this in believing that you desire this to be something for my life, or I'm not, and I'm going to be a liar, and I'm just going to walk away from everything that I've said I believed about you. Those are the thoughts that ran through my mind. So I got up. Um, my son was sitting by the fire. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. I got up and I walked over and right, so the, the one youth pastor's back was towards me and there's four kids standing facing me and they're all like this. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, that's Portuguese for here he comes. I did learn that. And on the way over, he turns around and right away, like there's a step back. That's my fault. That was sin in me that caused him to have to react like that. And I said, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I shouldn't have responded to you guys the way that I did. And my heart breaks that I, I treated you like that. Would you forgive me? And he said, oh, I, I forgave you already. And he gave me this big hug. Notice two things. One, he spoke English. He understood the first time I yelled. But the second thing was, he had already put into practice what I knew I was supposed to do. There was an expectation on me, not as a pastor, but as a believer, 
that I should have gone first. And so he starts introducing me to his wife and introduces us to some other people, uh, some of the, the other leaders. And it went great. We ended up praying together. And he was able to pray blessing over me. I could pray blessing over them. And they decided for the whole day they were going to go away. Praise God. He even said, we're going to leave so that you guys can have some peace and quiet. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He's like, yeah, okay. Right? And so that whole day, it's just nice and calm. The next day, one of their leaders had a dirty diaper from a baby underneath her car. And we're standing in our, our kitchen area eating breakfast. And I, I'm like, hey, you got a diaper under your car. And the lady's just ignoring me. I say, excuse me. You got a diaper under your car. Nothing. Now. Yeah. I'm in that same situation. This time instead, I get up. Vicky says, do you want me to go handle it? I said, no, I got this. I get up and I go over to the one pastor that I know spoke English. And I say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to tell her that she has a dirty diaper under her car. Um, could you tell her if she doesn't speak English that, that that's what I'm hollering at her? Now, it wasn't nearly as loud as what I demonstrated. It, it was in a much calmer voice. It turned out he's their lead pastor. He introduces me to his wife. Here, this woman who couldn't understand me, her and her husband are the new youth pastors. These guys are completely overwhelmed. They've been installed less than a year. They got all these kids going camping, and all these kids want to go, like, all over the place on 800 acres. Can you imagine with eight leaders going 800 acres? That's a whole lot of spread thin. And so when we're done talking, he says, I, I want to ask for your forgiveness that I let things get this out of control in our youth group. I said, I need to ask for your forgiveness that I didn't handle the situation well either. And we ended up being able to pray over one another. It was the first time I've ever been prayed over in Portuguese. Didn't understand a word of it, but I'm grateful that he did it in English the second time. Right? And so in the midst of all this chaos and, and me losing my cool and yelling, God built four different relationships. And on the, in the meantime, there's two other families on either side of us who have seen and, and heard everything that was going on. Turns out that they were uh, another pastor and his elder their families there with 12 other kids who they would come up to us and thank us not for yelling at the kids and making them quiet although they appreciated that factor of it but for the example that we lived out loud and it started by taking off my mask that I had lashed out by having my accountability and using my accountability listening to somebody who could speak into my life and I would listen and then on to our third tool those um, wise counsel, right? Now, I'm not going to say my buddy was wise. Where is he? But he was definitely smarter in those moments than I was. See, we pretend that temptation is something simple that we should just be able to walk through. Right? How many of us have ever given up even fighting the temptation because it's difficult or challenging? Yeah, most of us. But when we stand, we need to recognize that God hasn't placed us just in those fields of rest that we've spent you know, months going through in Psalm 23, he does bring us to those places. But it's only for a season of rest to go back into the battle. Proverbs 24, 6 says, Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. I love that. Do you recognize that you're in a place, 
God hasn't called you to just be still forever. He's called you into a battle. It might not even be your battle. It may be battling for somebody else through prayer. Proverbs 19, 20 through 21 says, listen to advice and accept discipline. We could just stop there. Would anybody else like to cross that out of your Bible? I'm just saying, I, I didn't actually do it. I actually highlighted it because I know it's something for me I need to work on. Listen to that again. Listen to advice and accept discipline. I love this part, though. And at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the word's purpose that prevails. I go back to that great theologian, Mike Tyson. Every man has his plan until you get punched in the mouth. How many of us have been punched in the mouth by something God has allowed? Amen. That fourth one is get involved. Here we call them the core values of what we do. The two that specifically spoke to me as I prayed and prepared for this is the here to serve others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you get that? God doesn't just intend to bless you and comfort you. He intends to bless and comfort others through you. You have to experience the discomfort. You have to experience the pain. You have to experience some of the hurt that people are going through in order for you to be a part of their comfort. Think about that. There isn't one experience in your life that you could say, you know what, God can't use that. God can't use that I used to sell drugs, do drugs. God can't sell that I struggle with overeating or overspending. God can't use that my identity is in my tattoos or in my vehicles or in my big house. God can't use my 401k and the plan for retirement I have. What a great lie. God will use every aspect of your life. In James 4.10, we're told, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know the alternative to that? Being humiliated in front of others. I don't know about you. I'm grateful I've got two knees to fall on. Because I know when I'm on my knees that I'm to be looking up. My heart breaks for the people who find comfort themselves and miss out on the whole part where we're to be comforting others as well. And then being united in purpose, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I got to tell you, it is amazing to be up here and to look out, to know that where my heart is, is right here. My treasure is in seeing people repent to genuinely let go of the things that they've been holding on to, not just poof it away, not just let it go, but to genuinely bring it to the foot of the cross, to believe that the power of Christ can set you free. A.W. Tozer says that modern religion focuses on filling churches with people. The true gospel emphasizes filling people with God. How many of us today need an infilling of the Holy Spirit and of God's presence? I want to challenge each and every one of you. God has given us a really long altar. Check this thing out. 
if you know that you're in need of God's filling, would you simply submit your life to him? Take a step forward and come to the altar to let go of the things that you've been carrying because he never intended for you to carry them alone. To submit yourself to his word and his teaching. In closing, why would you step into a battle that's going to be difficult? Why would you step into a, trying to resist temptation? James 1.12 tells us why. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you're here today, would you stand please? Did you get that? Yeah, right? If you're here today, please stand. For those online, go ahead and stand. If you know that you're missing something in your life, in your heart, in your mind, that you know you want to let go of, I want to invite you to this altar, to where we simply come believing that God has a better plan for us. There are those here today who may not have ever put their faith in Christ to cry out to him, to confess with your mouth out loud that Jesus is Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that you would be saved from an eternity in hell. We can't pretend that hell doesn't exist. Each and every one of us knows people who are going to spend eternity there. But did we do our part as the body of Christ? Were we the hands and feet of Jesus himself? Did we create a safe place called church where people could be honest about the struggles that were going on, where without fear or worrying about people condemning them or looking down on them, people could come to an altar and lay those sins aside to confess things as sin, not wrongdoing, not bad choices, but sin, and to ask God to forgive us his word says that if we as a nation will repent, will pray, that God would save our land. I don't know about you, I have a greater hope for America than just what we have today. I have a greater hope for our world than just what we have today. His name is Jesus. But it starts right here right here at this very altar, look at this, like 70 feet, where if we will humble ourselves and let go of those things that we've allowed to identify us, to get us caught up, that the Lord and creator of heaven and earth would set us free if we would just humble ourselves, if we would simply have the courage to come down to the altar, if we would simply put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we would put our identity in Him alone. Family, I've shared with you the best of what I have to offer you in resisting temptation and winning the battle against Satan. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've been to funerals for people who never won the battle because they never first came to the altar. If you're here today and you know that God is tugging at your heart, would you come to the altar? Would you let go 
of those things that have got you caught up so that he could set you free, that you would find your purpose, that you would find your place, that he would give you a position as a son or daughter of a living king. Would you pray with me? Father, this altar can be intimidating, overwhelming. It can call out in us those fears that we don't acknowledge exist. And yet the altar is to be a safe place for us to come and to admit our brokenness before a God who longs for us to be in relationship with Him. You long for us to know You, to know Your voice, to hear You, to listen, to submit to You. Father, thank You that You have never let any one of us wander beyond Your capability to draw us back in. Father, I pray that we would not be a good enough people but that we would be God-honoring people. That, Lord, we would be the change that our world needs because of you being alive in our lives. Father, for those who have never submitted their lives to you, Lord, I pray that you would not let them leave this building without speaking to somebody, without surrendering their arrogance and pride and ego and all the other things that get in our ways and to simply submit ourselves to you, to give of our lives as a living sacrifice. Father, thank you that you died on the cross so that we could live and that we would live an abundant life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.